Hello and welcome to the first episode of our new season, season four of the Music Works podcast. I'm Katie Beardsworth, director and founder of Polyphony Arts, and I'm looking forward to a great lineup of guests as we look at the classical music industry, how it works today, and explore how it can work better in the future, both for those of us who work in the music sector and the audiences who support us. Today, I'm delighted to welcome stage and event manager Sophia Tuffin. Her experience covers various disciplines within the classical music industry, including orchestral and opera stage management. In 2020, she observed, to the best of my knowledge, I am the only transgender person working in opera production in the UK. Sophia now works with the London Symphony Orchestra, and we were delighted to be able to catch her on the eve of a much-anticipated tour in Romania and Germany. With the increasing awareness of the challenges trans people face in the workplace, we're looking forward to hearing Sophia's own experience and her views on what the industry can do to make it a more accessible space for professionals like her and other trans people who have chosen to make their careers in classical music. First, here's a message from our sponsor. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. So now let's go over to the Music Works studio where Sophia is waiting to speak to us from backstage at LSO St Luke's. Hello Sophia, welcome to Music Works. Hi, thank you so much. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Sophia Tuffin is with us today and she is the stage manager with the London Symphony Orchestra. Um, and we're here today to talk about her career and uh, in particular as a trans woman within the classical music industry. Um, we talked about, we interviewed a trans tenor, um, Patricia Yates, in episode 3.8 of this podcast, so in the last season. Um, and I'm really excited today to be able to talk about um, this topic in more detail and with a different slant on a different side of the industry. Um, Sophia, as I was just saying before we started this, I am um, always fascinated to talk to stage managers because of the uh, the backstage perspective. So you're currently with the LSO. Do you want to tell us a bit yeah. about your career and your journey up to this point? Sure. Um, so I uh, trained at Guildhall back in, oh God, when's that leave? About 10 years ago. Um, and spent most of the past decade working in both opera production as an opera stage manager and doing some events and things like that as well. Um, opera ended up being somewhere between about half of my whole year. Um, and a couple of years ago, I realised that despite what I thought at you know the ripe old age of 18, it probably wasn't going to be what I wanted to do for the rest of my life. I found myself in sort of six week cycles of the same conversations, the same arguments, that kind of thing. And I was just like, at some point soon, I'm going to stop loving what I do. Mm. Um, and for I think so many people in the arts, work is so much more of your life than it is for someone in retail, for example. Um, and so I think you have to love what you do. And if not, then it, you just get much more bitter than you would otherwise. Um, so I slowly tried to move into uh, a more classical music slant because I realized that I missed it. Um, and after a lot of applications, a lot of interviews, um, I started with the LSO about three months ago, um, which has been a bit of a whirlwind, uh, especially at the you know starting during coronavirus during COVID uh, has 
been a very unusual environment for us. So we're about to start our autumn season, which is so the calendar runs sort of August through to July. Um, and so there's so many things where we're at the Barbican and I don't know what the norm is. So everyone's saying, oh, we'll just do normal things. and I, But I don't know what that is because yeah. I've only had abnormal things. Um, yeah. Yeah. So oh, that yeah, absolutely. Is, that's the new like normal. Me and the, but I'm like, it's not the new normal because yeah. what has been the new normal for a year, in a year is going to be different again. There is no thing. And, uh, yeah, we were having a conversation today about whether we're going to keep masks in a year's time. And I've no idea. Mm, Short of September, I don't know what's going to happen. Exactly, exactly. I, I know that's very relatable right now. Um, <laughs> and you're off on tour tomorrow, is that right? Yeah, so, so tomorrow we pack to do, um, in the next sort of two weeks, we're doing uh, the UNESCO Festival in Romania. We're going to Hamburg, Berlin, Lucerne, um, and then coming back and then end of September we're going off to another seven cities as well so it's quite a bit of despite uh Covid and despite Brexit we're still doing a fair amount of touring which is nice for me yeah that's fantastic to hear see some new cities yeah yeah absolutely very exciting I'm sure there's uh, some uh (laughs) some logistical stuff going on in the background here Thank you so much for making the time just before, just at this crucial moment. Oh, that's great. Um, So, well, thank you. And um, uh, for mentioning that you had a lot of interviews and so on for the job, because it sounds like a very illustrious career um, and uh, and very impressive. Let's dive into um, trans people in the classical music industry, if that's okay, because I... um, was made aware through my conversation um, with Patricia a few months ago um, quite how difficult this is, um, certainly on a performer level, um, for uh, with the amount of things that are intrinsically but unnecessarily gendered in classical music and um, the the way the industry at the moment doesn't doesn't in general have a great understanding of those things and and how they're treating people who don't feel they fall into the um the male female categories in a straightforward way um what um how, what's that like from your perspective in terms of um the kind of behind the scenes stage management um career path i mean i think i think there's there's always given the impression that the arts is a more accepting environment than some other career paths for example in some other industries i think because i i started transitioning about five years into my freelance career so I did things there was never a way for me really to do a one day go home from work and the next day start something else because you need to know about programs six weeks in advance for example and so I did uh, for me transitioning was much maybe very different to some other people but also easier because of that there were in you know everyone has lost friends because of transitioning. I think that is something that is just accept, accepted and is to be expected. Um, not ideal, but that is the case. And if yeah. people choose to remove themselves from my life, that's fine. Um, I think there has been, I've never had any problems that I know of because no one's going to say to me that there is an issue. Um, I, that is not to say that there have been at all. I don't know. Um, in, there was, uh, an article I wrote about a year ago that, that I talked about this as well. And I, 
given my career, given my skills, given my experience, there were some roles and some interviews that I find it hard to believe it wasn't a negative factor in, but there's no way for me to prove that. And so mm. I'm just going to let it go and go to sleep at night and keep trying, I guess. Um, yeah. So I think it's in some ways easier and in some ways harder because it, it is illegal for people to discriminate against people like me because I'm transgender, but that doesn't mean it doesn't happen in the same way that yeah. people who are pregnant or are hoping to be pregnant at some point are discriminated against, but there's no way to prove that they are because no one's going to come out and say it. Um, yeah, there's always another reason, isn't there? Another yeah, exactly. Reason. There's always yeah. someone with better experience or yeah, exactly. a better fit because they're not metrics that you can quantify. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so the um, so you were already working as a freelance stage manager when um, you started transitioning. So was that something that um, you received? Uh, you know, was that something that the industry kind of went with you on? Were you were you did you receive support through that process? Would you yeah, say absolutely? Yeah. I mean, like I don't, I have not had a single person be openly negative towards me at all or disparaging towards me and everyone has been completely supportive and amazing um and i think i'm really lucky to be in that position uh but also it's such a interconnected industry that if something happens in one company the rest of the certainly within the uk uh another company or another person is going to hear about it before too long um, mm. I was doing a show, I before I did anything on like social media or online or anything, I was doing a show uh, for a company called The Opera Story. And that was kind of my first step into transitioning. So for them, I was um, day to day, I was working under my old name, but in the credits, I had Sophia. Um, and so there was sort of this blended crossover for me because I felt that that was the easiest way to do it without making it too confusing for people. And then the next one uh, was another thing, and then the next one was another thing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but by the time I got to working at Wexford, which was six months later, everyone already knew about it. And before even uh, me send, before I even sent them a thing to say, by the way, this is my new name, this is my new email, they had my new name, they'd found my email address, and they sent it to that one anyway, rather than using my old email address that was still in use. Um, that's fantastic. Which is quite nice in a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's very thoughtful, isn't it? Um, that's great to hear. Um, that's wonderful. What do you think, um, I'm, I'm curious about um, what people who um, might be somewhere on a transgender journey and might be hoping to go into a career in the arts, what you would like to say to them? Um, I think there's no, for the most part, I believe people want, and I feel that people want to be supportive. They're just scared of saying something wrong. So they're scared of making a step. Um, and I think we can all help with our own experiences. We are, we put, we get from the world what we put out. Um, and that's not to say that it is trans people's fault if other people are say the wrong thing or are negative towards them. That is absolutely not their issue. But it's also a, what's the better way to put this? So I have always, I have always been someone who answers questions from other people right from the past, for, for the past six years now. 
and someone people have come up to me and asked so why did you choose Sophia and have you had surgery and uh what do your parents think and things like this and depending on the context depending on the person depending on my relationship sometimes I will go right to the nitty-gritty and other times I'll just say yes but here's why you shouldn't ask that yeah um, and I hope that I'm someone who I am secure in, I am financially fairly secure. Uh, I have a job. Um, I have uh, friends and family who support me. I am in a much better position than a lot of other trans people. And so I want to, I try to use that to make things easier for the person after me. Yeah, um, absolutely. I don't know whether it's actually going to make a difference if it makes one person get asked slightly less slightly fewer questions then that'd be great no i i'm sure it does make a difference absolutely there's nothing like hearing the experiences of others um put put out in a good way is there um on the on the subject of asking questions then because yeah. i do think this is kind of interesting so what is um what is your ideal now i'm guessing that this differs from situation to situation but you know there's this sort of on the one hand you know people are curious and you don't want an elephant in the room on the other hand it's your life and your body and your choices and you don't want you know you don't no, not everyone gets quizzed about this stuff so you know why should you be yeah. where do you stand on that um i think uh so about six months ago uh, I actually got asked something very similar to this. Um, someone I was working with at the time made a joke about uh, what was in my pants. And uh, not to me, to a colleague. And after it happened a couple of times, they told me. Um, and I said, I don't, re if you want to ask me that, then ask me that. I'm not, I'm not an exhibit in a museum or an animal in the zoo. I can talk for myself. If you really want to know, then you can get the courage to come and ask me. If you are just making a joke to make a joke and be obscene, then don't do that. I think there is a very fine line between the both the way a question or statement is asked and also the person's intentions behind that. And so there is no defined set answer. To some people, I will answer that question and I will answer any following on questions they have. Other people, I'll say, yes, but why do you want to know? Or yes, but you shouldn't ask. Mm, yeah um and yeah that's a i think that's a case-by-case -case basis and also this person if i'd known them for two years instead of a month it would have been a slightly different reaction as well um so we went to them and said i'm not going to tell you that because i don't know and i don't care but if you want to ask sophia that then you can go and ask her yourself she doesn't yeah. and this person was then told she's not afraid to answer these questions if you go and ask her because yeah because i feel that for me and i think every trans person has a slightly different take on this for me it is always going to be part of me it's not something that just because i've just because i've reached a certain point in transition it doesn't mean that i'm no longer trans i am yeah. it's just not all of me um like there are other assets to me i'm learning languages i'm drinking too much alcohol i'm reading a book that's taken me nearly two months to read even though it's only 500 pages long um i'm currently watching a really shit series on netflix like 
just because this is something that's different about me doesn't mean it's the only thing that's different about me to you, for example. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. I agree with that completely. I think that's useful um, in a lot of ways, thinking about um, differences and, and expressing in a world where we're becoming more open about differences, which is wonderful. Um, we still have a big problem, I think, with people um, feeling like they have a right to certain information or, you know, but on the other hand, you know, that yeah, I like I like talking to people who have a perspective on how to be open um, and to and to kind of I don't know to demonstrate to people how you can deal with difficult things without being awkward or talking behind people's backs or yeah. you know um, any of that stuff. I think there's conversely to people feeling like they have a right to know information. There's also there was a thing in the there was a thing in the I was reading in the newspaper today saying that John Cleese is going to do a, a documentary about cancel culture called something like The Woke People. And mm. like, it seems like people are so scared of being told shut down or not being able to be friends with someone for some reason, that they're scared to make that jump. Um, so clearly I can't speak for everyone. In general, I might say that it's okay to ask questions, but don't be surprised or if or upset if someone shuts you down and walks away like it is your you are able to say whatever you want but they are able to not answer that yeah i suppose that ultimately comes down to everyone basically being able to express themselves how they want so if actually you assume yeah. that nobody wants to be awkward and secretive and everyone if they're curious is curious then that's fine but then likewise the person that you're curious about has every right to not share personal information yeah. with you yeah exactly and i think some days some days you are more happy to talk about things than others as well yeah ask me one yeah. thing on a monday and i'm really busy and focused on something else and just trying to get the truck packed for example as tomorrow it will be and then on thursday <laughs> i've got the day off and i don't have i've got an hour to spend chatting to you about these things yeah yeah absolutely always all, all this makes a difference <laughs> yeah exactly there's only so much headspace around going on orchestral tour <laughs> for anything <laughs> well um thank you for talking about that that's um it's it's i'm really glad to hear that um that the industry has been so supportive to you that is um that is really wonderful to hear um and so I'd like I'd like to talk more about um, about being a stage manager, if that's okay. Sure. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so another angle that um, the the next generation of um, music professionals, uh, stage managers, orchestral managers, uh, will be interested to hear from you on is is your career and how you've worked through it, and um, you know any kind of interesting stories, tips, or advice that you can give. Um, so uh, I'd love to love to hear about some of these things. Okay, sure. If you feel you want to work in arts production, congratulations. That's amazing. Welcome to the family. Um, <laughs> it is a pain in the arts job, but it's also amazing. Um, and if you choose to go to a drama school or a university to study and train, amazing. Pick somewhere that is best for you. It doesn't really matter what, what school it is, so long as you feel you fit in there. Um, I looked at, I had very specific criteria when I was looking and only two schools in the UK fit that criteria, which was uh, Royal Welsh and Guildhall. I went for an open day at both and at Guildhall, I was just like, this is the one. If I don't get in here, I'm not going to Welsh. I'm just going to stay here. But that's me. 
then someone I went on both tours with chose Welsh because it worked better for them. Find somewhere that you feel you're going to fit in that is going to support you and you will do your best there regardless of, I suppose, the calibre of the school. There are uh, some people have an opinion that there are four or five in the UK that are the schools, but I also believe that depending on what genre of art you move into, some are better than others. Um, so pick one that works for you, work really hard, do that. If you choose to move from lighting to sound or into automation or to stage management, or you want to just be a company manager, great, amazing. Your skills that you've learned in one area will benefit you in the other. There have been every single job I've done. I have been better at my stage managing skills because I know how to program a lighting desk because I can, to some extent, operate sound because I understand the terminology behind things and how they work. I, that has made me a better person. Um, there's a friend of mine who is uh, a show caller uh, called Ali, and she did, she was show caller for Lord of the Rings when it was at Drury Lane. Um, and she had basically all the, the monitors that the automation team had. That made her better in her job. Um, once you get out into the real world, um, if you survive your first 12 months, you're golden. It's really hard to get a job. But once you've got through your first year, you're fine. If you stay in the UK, you will never earn six figures. Go to America and you can earn 200 grand on Broadway. But good luck with that. Um, <laughs> I don't think visas are the easiest thing to come to. And there are 10 Americans for every one of us. Um, mm. if, you, if money is the important thing to you, arts is not the thing for you. Um, and I think... Katie might agree that that's probably the case across the board. <laughs> um, I think. Yeah, maybe. I mean, <laughs> money and the arts is a very hot topic on this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> it's there definitely is. not one if you want to, you know, be on six figures in the first few years. It's probably not. Uh, <laughs> it's probably yeah. not the best career, but, you know. Exactly. Um, um, yeah. I'd say be prepared for anyone who doesn't work in the arts to not understand what you do ever. Mm. My parents still ask me what I do day to day. They do not understand. Oh, yeah. They will not understand. I've made my peace with that. In some um, ways, that's easier than the people who do understand and go, but why? <laughs> why did you? <laughs> yeah, you chose this? You, you this sure? is your chosen career? Yeah. <laughs> um, if you stop loving your job, stop it as well would be my final thing I think yeah there's everyone the arts is a killer in terms of hours there is no work-life balance and that is starting to change and I hope by the time I retire it will be much better but we are decades behind other industries and at some point in your life you may feel that other things are more important to you than work which is admirable because I haven't hit that yet um and when you do and it is no longer you no, no longer feel fulfilled by your job then it, it I think it is time to find somewhere something else that you love because I don't think this job is sustainable as this industry is is sustainable as just a job yeah um, so is what is what you're saying that when you say it's not sustainable as just a job, you mean unless you love it and it's completely working for your whole life, it's not um, I, sustainable. I think what I mean is this is 
I think this industry is much harder on you outside of work than people admit to. And I, f I personally find it very hard to switch off when I go home. I'm, I'm at home, but I'm still thinking about work. And I think there are other industries that are less bad at managing with that. Um, yeah. There's a company in, was it an article I was reading about a company in the Netherlands maybe two years ago that at, I don't know, 5.31 or something, all the office tables rise up into the ceiling. So you can't, <laughs> you've got to go and your computer, your keyboard just suddenly rises up and you're done. And that's it. And a bit extreme, but that's not going to happen in the arts because people work in different countries on different schedules. By working on a thing that naturally happens in the evening, you do work in the evening. Mm. Um, and that's a really hard thing to put a limit on. Yeah, it is. And there is a, there is a particular hyped feeling to working on shows I remember um my dad was a, a stage manager and an arts manager for his whole career and when he mm. I remember him talking about leaving a particular job um a particular high level job and said he said that it took him six months to come down from that kind of constant like you know schedules and stuff going on and uh, no, I'm not surprised either. Actually, it's um, it is very, and it, that is that's that like two sided coin thing, though, isn't it? It's mm. like that's the love, and on the other side of it, yeah. it's like that can be really difficult. It's interesting because I was just thinking um, of asking again, thinking about this from the point of view of people coming into the industry and perhaps how the industry is changing. Um, what you think or what you've observed about the culture of, you know, when you start out in the arts, you literally give everything. Because I remember my first proper arts job. I'd just moved to London. I gave my whole life over to it. I'm a singer by... I would, I'd been a singer at uni. I stopped singing, not as a conscious decision, but I basically didn't sing for like two years because I was just... Uh, having just moved to London and thinking I would do... You know, I just gave everything over to this full-time job, which was actually full-time plus evenings plus everything else. Um, yeah, and I and, and I know that, and that's what that's what ten years ago or something. I I'm sure that's still happening now. I'm sure that's not yeah. out of date. Absolutely. Just um, today, I saw people offering themselves as assistant producers for free, and you know that if someone takes them up on that, that person is not going to get to bed before eleven, and they're going to be asked to be back in at eight. Yeah. Because we're an industry that, yeah, short of the no. top five companies in Arts Council funding, everyone else doesn't have enough money. And I bet you yeah. if you went to the Opera House, they'd still say they don't have enough money. Yeah. Um, and so people are asked to give themselves because, because the only way that you can make things work with less money is with more time. Yeah. Um, and yet still people want to do companies want to do as much programming as they can which is understandable but also the weak link in that chain is the people and it's traditionally it has been very hard for people to stand up for themselves and still be contracted as a freelancer like if you turn yeah. around and say i'm not sorry you're gonna go. no i was just gonna say there is there is always someone that's willing to do it because for cheaper and for, for cheaper yeah. and for free and for everything because people love doing it and it's exciting mm. um and it feels like there's a payout somewhere along the line but I, I have to say as I go through my career in the arts 
I don't see that payout as as coming naturally at the end of however long of of giving over a lot um, personally and professionally. I agree. And I also think it's I'm someone who comes from a fairly privileged background and I was financially able to do lower paying jobs. Like So I Mm. worked for the Royal Albert Hall all the way through uni and then that's how I supported myself for the first two years of freelancing. So my first freelance stage manager job, I was doing an opera in the south of France. We rehearsed in the Royal Academy and then we went to the south of France for a month and I think I got paid £500 for nine weeks work. Yeah, exactly. That's the face that now I thought <laughs> at the time I was like, oh my God, a job and it's paying me. Yeah, 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 about six pence an hour. Um, but yeah, I would regularly <laughs> do finishing rehearsals at 6 p.m., start at the Albert Hall at 8, 8 p.m., finish at 6 a.m., get to rehearsals for 9 a.m. That was really Ugh. solid. Yeah, but I was perpetuating <laughs> this idea that people can work for free only allows those who are financially able to do that to work for free. And yeah, it means exactly. that as an industry, we stay very white, we stay very privileged, we stay far too Oxbridge, and there is a whole world out there and a whole section of society that isn't represented because of this. Yeah, absolutely. By continuing to employ people, by continuing to use essentially slave labour because you're not paying them, um, mm-hmm. just because they're doing it willingly doesn't mean there isn't some um, impetus for them to do that. Like, you yeah, are, I know, you are absolutely. It's no, absolutely. It's and it's also people. I mean, I know that we are all very willing in the arts and we all love what we do and so on, but that it's it is this idea that you sort of have to do it and it's yeah. sort of part of paying dues. And you like people just can't afford to do that, people can't afford to put themselves forward for expensive auditions and you know, yeah, exactly. internships that last a whole summer for no money. And yeah, I think this is the big, the huge problem with inclusivity that cross that intersects all other inclusivity issues is um economic disparity and not being able to sustain yourself on an arts living um whether whether that's free or just like an entry level wage which is uh, nearly free Uh, (laughs) there was uh i remember a couple of years ago i applied for a job within an orchestra not the lso um that was off looking for someone full-time had a music degree and uh, i think it said something like experience of writing contracts and they were paying 16 to eighteen thousand a year which mm. i'm like really well That's... that doesn't actually exist does it anyway <laughs> even if it was no. ethical to pay it that much <laughs> yeah exactly um, it's, 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 there's a there's a running joke in tech companies that people will ask for 10 years experience in, I don't know, a program or a programming language. And it's only existed for six. Yeah. Yeah. We're doing in a different, but in a different way, we're doing the same thing. Mm, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. Well, I agree completely. Um, And do you think the industry is changing? I mean, you mentioned that we're, I I agree completely that we're behind. Um, I think that there are some changes going on but I don't know what do you think the way out of this pattern of um you know free work at the beginning of career and and so on it is I think the reality is that Arts Council England is never going to be able to fulfill 
funding for every company that exists to the amount that that company wants or needs. That doesn't mean that then the people at the bottom should be the ones to suffer, I think. And this is not to say that lead actors, for example, or lead singers are paid enough. I think that like so many companies in so many places in all of the world, there are people at the top who are paid obscene amounts and people at the bottom are paid obscene amounts just in the other way. It would be nice if there was a bit more of a balancing. Mm. There's a, there was a company I was um, applied to out of the arts about six months ago that said the top person at the top will never be paid more than five times the person at the bottom. And I think that that would be quite nice to do because that limits yeah. that limits CEOs and principal artists to about 100 grand a year, which I think then means that there is more money for the people at the bottom, which means there is fewer requirements on people to work for free. Mm. And the, the other side of that is that there are productions that happen purely by people doing it for the love, like I saw a thing today saying uh, this is a profit share environment, which we all know means it's not being paid. Um, certainly not being paid a legal amount. And maybe the argument is that that work shouldn't happen at all if you can't pay people properly. And yeah. yes, there's less art happening, but also people can eat. Yeah. And I feel like yeah. both of those, one of those kind of trumps the other, maybe. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I agree. I think that the... <laughs> I'm going to get shouted down as like a hater no. of the arts and somebody wants to destroy the whole industry that... Um, well, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't agree. I, I don't think that you're going to get shouted down as that. I think that's... Uh, I think that the... Um, there's a sort of admirable um, aspiration in the arts to make as much happen as possible all the time and actually sometimes just saying look this isn't ethical and it isn't actually possible um is quite freeing for a lot of those involved yeah and i think yeah. it it feels like we're in a, a scale of the industry that is unsustainable in a way but it does mean that like going back to drama schools and what we were saying there are so many courses pumping out 30 people every year but then half of them leave within a year because it isn't sustainable so why do we have so many drama schools putting out 300 people a year yeah when we know that only 100 of them will be working in the arts in five years yeah yeah well i can't answer that that's question, the one that's going to get me shouted down as a hate <laughs> she'll leave that one there um, well, thank you so much for, for sharing your thoughts and experience with us. Um, so um, it's been really good to talk about um, the honest perspective on the industry um, with you. I, I don't I think that it's really important for people coming into it to know what they're getting into. I certainly wish that I'd had um, the perspective of some more experienced people on the, um, the sort of first year or two in work um in the arts so thank you so much for sharing that and also it's really wonderful to hear that um that your experience as a as a trans woman in the industry has been a good one um i just wondered if um as we're focusing this on people coming into the arts if we had any any final thoughts about um advice or or things that you know reasons why they should do it <laughs> oh god why should you do it because <laughs> it's fucking amazing um, yeah. I, like I, I 
right now I've broken my ankle so I get out of bed and it takes me a little bit longer than normal to get up um and I feel a little bit lower in the day but then I it's gonna sound so pathetic I still get to work and think I'm looking forward to today yeah. and there are things about this industry that still excite me every day and the people are wonderful for the most part and yeah it's really great and I it's really great how lame is that it's like when you write a, an essay in year nine and write it was nice um, <laughs> the people are really lovely everyone is working towards the same goal of essentially just creating a nice time for other people and yeah it's I love what I do and I think that most other people in the industry would say the same and you won't find that anywhere else in any other industry in any other job in any other company yeah I agree thank you thank you so much you get free tickets which is great oh yeah that's also good that's uh, yeah yeah get your comps people use them yeah use them yeah especially now like any opportunity to hear anything i've never been so excited to hear buskers in my life i was like music (laughs) (laughs) yeah isn't it i remember seeing um there's a guy at uh king's cross who has like animatronic muppets have you seen this guy no Um, so he's all every time i've seen him he's down the escalators in the new bits to the northern and piccadilly lines and he's just stood on the side and you've got like a muppet doing hi-hat and snare and then you've got another one on, on a guitar and not the best singers in the world but it's really nice to see and it's like it's the same as there used to be a tuba player who blew this isn't a tuba uh, uh no. i don't know how to play a tuba like this i think a tuba player near south ken who blew fire out whoa or there's a, a mini harp player who used to only do my heart will go on and it was in the south ken tunnel um and it's really nice to see them back yeah like, a year of of just nothing yeah yeah the, the tuba guy exists yeah, um, yeah. So in our chat here, Margaret just said, "Let's see the tuba guy near the globe." <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's lovely. No, it's it's lovely to see. Um, there's a familiarity in um, in our musical surroundings that's uh, that I've I've certainly never really noticed until we didn't have it anymore. Um, absolutely. Oh, well, thank you so much, Sophia, for taking time out of your busy schedule to share your experiences as one of the highly skilled professionals working backstage to bring top quality live music to our audiences. Your advice for anyone wanting to work in this um, fascinating and essential, if less celebrated, area is absolutely invaluable. And thank you also for your insights on your own journey as a trans person in the industry. There is much here to give us all hope that we're moving in the right direction when it comes to inclusivity and understanding in what has always tended to be one of the most traditional areas of the arts. As you say yourself, this is part, but only part, of what makes you who you are, and we have definitely gained a rounded picture of you, the arts professional, as well as your personal and professional journey to where you are today. And so I just want to wish you all the best for the upcoming tour, and thank you again for sharing your thoughts with Music Works. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Music Works podcast. If you've enjoyed this conversation, please subscribe, check out our other great episodes and even better, leave us a review. You can also sign up to our mailing list at www.polyphonyarts.com forward slash mailing dash list 
for updates and news about what Polyphony Arts is up to for all you classical music folk out there. You can find more information in the show notes as well. Meanwhile, I'm Katie Beardsworth and I look forward to sharing with you the next great episode of Music Works. Music Works is generously supported by Alliance Musical Insurance, the UK's number one musical instrument insurer. Alliance Music Insurance, serving the music community since 1960, proud to be the insurer of choice for over 70,000 musicians. Music Works is a Polyphony Arts production. Thank you for listening. Thank you.